Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai. Welcome to episode 23 of Little Things for Bonsai People, formerly Bonsai Southeast. And this time I am joined by Carmen Lesko Biansky. And I <gasps> nailed it. You right got it right. I'm really I usually, proud of you. I usually have such a hard time with her last name. And I've, this is the third time. This is great. Third time in a row. Yep. How are you doing, Carmen? I am well. How are you? Pretty well, pretty well. And today we have a very special guest. We are joined by Jennifer Price. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm doing great. And you nailed my last name. First oh, time. Awesome. <laughs> There's only like one syllable, so I got it. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's been a running gag, but uh, I can talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, before we get too far. Oh, I, I meant to ask you, how are you feeling, Jennifer? I'm sorry. I didn't want to just uh, steamroll you like that. <laughs> no, you didn't steamroll me at all. I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here with both of you and uh, to talk bonsai, obviously. Awesome. Yeah, that's what we do here. We uh, talk bonsai and we kind of just ramble on about what we like about bonsai. So, uh, but before I get started, I do need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons off of our patron page. Uh, we call our patrons our bonsai best buds. And starting the list, we have Tori Solis, Warehouse Rat, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, Ryan Gliardano. He's got a, a different last name as well. Uh, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, and Backyard Bonsai Australia. Thank you so much for being best buds and supporting our show. And um, it still stands. We're just going to keep saying happy birthday to whoever's birthday it is because we forget to keep asking our patrons <laughs> what their birthdays are. But anyway, if you would like to uh, follow, support, or subscribe to any of our other social media accounts, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram with under Evan Pardue or underhillbonesai.com. You can go over and see my articles that I've written. You can um, also follow Underhill uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, for Carmen, you can go over to the purplepotsociety.org and you can go check out the National Women's Bonsai Club and you can join for $35 for the year. Amazing price, great content, good resources. And then Carmen's got her handle on Instagram as Becoming Bonsai. For Mike, go check out uh, kitsunebonsai.com. He has online courses and merch that he does. Uh, Mike, unfortunately, cannot be with us on this one as well. Um, he is currently in Texas and he is teaching people bonsai, uh, working his his fingers to nubs, just uh, making great little trees with people over there. But uh, if you can't do anything, oh, wait, almost forgot again. Almost forgot uh, Matt. I have to mention Matt every time because he edits our episodes and he's amazing. Uh, our editor, Matt, if you want to go check out Matt, uh, you can go to mattodonanel.com. He is a audio engineer. And he can edit and produce your podcast as well if you like what you're hearing here. Uh, he also has Instagram as well, met Matt O'Donnell on Instagram. So, uh, but if you can only listen and that's all you can do for now, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform, yada, yada. Say it a lot, but it helps. It helps the show grow and it gets, it gets bonsai out to the masses more and more. So thank you guys for listening. So anyway, now that we got through the, the intro for the 23rd time, um, how is it going, Jennifer? Tell us tell us what you got going on. A lot of traveling. 
Um, you know, I didn't start out thinking I would become a traveling bonsai artist by any stretch of the imagination, but that's kind of what has happened. And let's see, we're end of March. And so I have been in Croatia, Germany, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Florida, Alabama, Texas, um, where uh, Mike was. And I think, am I forgetting anything? I hope not. And mm. obviously back home. Yeah, yeah. A lot of traveling for three months out of the year so far. <laughs> a lot of traveling. Yep. A lot more to go. Yeah. Oh, man. Like we had, uh, I had failed to mention that uh, you're from Chicago, Illinois. Correct. And mm -hmm. uh, and also you have trained and apprenticed under Walter Paul and Ryan Neal. Well, you Correct. studied with Ryan Neal. Right. And, um, and yeah, you do a lot of traveling and that... You're coming to do the ABS uh, learning seminar in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you'll Larry, be a featured artist there. Larry Jackal, the curator there, is, I think, hosting. And the Denver Botanical Gardens will be hosting that in June. So that would be a lot of fun. And then, you know, a lot more travel after that and a little bit before that, too. So, mm -hmm. yep. And you had uh, you had mentioned as well that uh, you were down in New Orleans recently. I definitely saw you there. So, yep uh seeing you there and then um i think the first time we ran into each other we were at the texas show mm -hmm. yep. um but i think one of the other times i spotted you was actually at nationals but i didn't know you well enough to walk up and just say hey but uh that was that was uh two years ago i think now okay yeah, yeah. it was you know I, I don't know i think as bonsai artists we should always be able to walk up and say like you know hey how are you what have you got going on what, right i mean there, there shouldn't be any egos in bonsai no, no. It wasn't an ego thing. It's just it's, No, I know that. It's not the easiest thing to just walk up and be like, hey, I've That's seen true. you online. That's just kind of weird to go about it that way. <laughs> but true. uh yeah. yeah. Awesome. So uh Jennifer, how did you get into bonsai? I think is that something that you normally talk about a lot? Um, I mean, I, I get asked it quite a bit, so I suppose so, you know, I don't mind talking about it. Um, I mm -hmm. was a professional uh, ballerina and, you know, in that career, there's tons and tons of injuries really early on that you don't expect, you know, 30 seems like it's like forever when you're 19, 20 years old. And so I was, I was injured. Um, and the ballet company I was dancing with, uh, was actually in Paris and we were, um, you know, I, I had fallen, I was on stage, I was really injured and they took me to see a bonsai show and it was on literati bonsai design. And at that point I was really struck by, you know, kind of the line and the form. And it wasn't until, you know, I came home, I rehabbed a bit, kept dancing, didn't really work. Um, and then later on, I kind of went back and rediscovered bonsai and thought, you know, it, it reminds me of how the human body can move um, and, you know, another art form to express myself in. So I sort of delved in and really went down that rabbit hole pretty far. And somehow I became a bonsai artist. Hmm. So, yeah, I think that's that's really cool. I knew that you had done dance before you got into bonsai, but I wasn't sure where the that little bridge piece was from when you stopped dancing to when you started doing bonsai. So, yeah, that's really interesting. I think the link, you know, the link of like having a little bit of 
depression probably pretty early on being so intense you know Mm -hmm. in such a competitive career and then having that Mm. career cut so short and then trying to find your voice as an artist and you know seeing bonsai you know it's an art form definitely a different medium um but a really cool one Do you still dance at all? Sorry, I'm curious. <laughs> no, you know, I get, asked, I get asked that a lot. And it's funny because like what my mind thinks it will do is not what my body will do anymore. Yeah. So yeah. No. <laughs> I thought about going back, but no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's something that I didn't really know. I knew that you were a ballerina formerly, but uh, how long did you say you'd done it before? Uh, 13 years. Um, 13 so, years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So long time since I was very little. Hmm. That's yeah. awesome though. Um, and if you don't mind me asking how uh how you got over into Paris. I I don't know anything about the world of ballerina. Oh, literally, I was with a ballet company that toured. So, you know, they take you around the world and you see pretty much, you know, the airport, the theater, the hotel room back home. So, <laughs> mm. you, you know, it's the traveling life of a dancer. You, you know, you perform quite a bit. So little, some ways a little bit like bonsai where you see, I was going to say, yeah, you see the airport and you see your hotel and you see wherever <laughs> the, the convention is or the, the workshop is. And then you're, you're back home. Right. Yeah. Carmen, yeah. do you mind if I ask you a question? Oh, sure. Um, go ahead. How do you like uh, being in Portland? How do you like, you know, being out there and working with Michael Hagedorn, who's a fa- fabulous artist. And, you know, I'm curious, this is one friend to another. Are you enjoying your time out there? I am. Yeah. It's, um, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Um, having come from the botanical garden where I was kind of curating that collection and, you know, had, had other folks kind of supporting the collection with watering and whatever. Um, and then kind of going into this whole apprenticeship where I'm the primary caretaker of, of everything all the time. Um, it was a little bit more than I think I had expected, but I'm having a great time. Michael actually just asked me the other day um, if my feelings toward bonsai had changed at all over the last two years. <laughs> and I I just said that I like it better now. So, wow. That's <laughs> so wonderful. It's, yeah, it's one of those things where even on, you know, my quote days off, unquote, because um, I'm still here to water it's like, oh, well, sometimes I go out there and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I could really do some, some trimming right now or whatever. So it gets, it gets a little long in the summertime when there's so much watering, but the rest of the year when there's more styling and trimming and all that stuff, it's, it's really, really fun. So the reality is above bonsai, right? When we all in yeah. the stand around with uh, hoses and water for hours. Mm-hmm. On mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So you've been coming out to Portland to study a little bit with Ryan. Um, how how do you like Portland? I have. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I have a friend out there and she and I have been staying together, which has been really fun, you know, getting to know some people in my class and, you know, of course, you know, seeing Ryan's garden and, you know, it's, the trees are incredible and, you know, the days are long, but well mm-hmm. worth it. And it's, it's been really fun. So you have Michael Hagedorn as a mentor. That has to be fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's really fun to work with. We were um, we had some one of our students over this morning um, to help create a stand for another one of the the trees that's going into an exhibition later this year. Um, 
but he gets these, you know, you've seen his work, he gets these creative ideas. And Mm -hmm. the nice thing about having so many different students with so many different backgrounds is that you can call on them at any time. And, you know, they'll want to collaborate with you on some, some piece of artwork. So we've got a, a a student who's um, doing some metal working for us for a couple bonsai stands and, uh, well, stand. Yeah, I guess you could call him a stand. Um, so yeah, it's been really fun to kind of see that creative process and, um, see how Michael works. And, uh, I had studied a little bit with him before I moved all the way out here. So I had an idea of his teaching style and it's, it's been working really well for me. My teacher, Walter Paul, my main teacher, uh, is a huge fan of Michael's. And the first time I actually went out uh, with Walter uh, to visit uh, Michael's garden was really inspirational for me. You know, he has a couple pieces that are really significant. One is, you know, his hemlocks. Obviously, Mm -hmm. he has, you know, one particular hemlock that really always is in the back of my mind as an artist because it's so naturalistic. And it, it almost looks like, you know, somebody just took it out of a forest and there it is. And it it really takes you to where you would find that, you know, Mm -hmm. in nature. And Walter and I actually stood in front of that for a really long time. And, you know, at one point I kind of glanced at Walter Paul and, you know, Walter, Walter's character. And um, yeah, he's never at a loss for words, Um, (laughs) but but we stood there for a long time and and just sort of looked at each other and then looked back at, you know, Michael's art and just kind of went like, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The hemlocks are really, really something. Um, Well, so many pieces were, I'm just that one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's one of the things I really love about his style is that it really takes you kind of to where the tree came from. Um, It's not, it's not, necessarily put into something that you would expect a bonsai to look like there's a little bit more of a naturalistic flow to it so um that's one of the Mm -hmm. things i think that definitely drew me to his work to in the beginning interestingly enough too um michael's a tango dancer yes i could relate very much to that you know having been a a ballet dancer you know into his talking about tango with me so that was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. well what a time to be getting into bonsai right with all these really like uh artistic endeavors very uh what what would you say uh the word the word's escaping me but really going all in on just experimentation different types of uh containers different types of potteries being made right now uh lots and lots of species are kind of being collaborated with with different artists and different cultures across uh the United States even the world I've seen some really cool stuff happening uh so yeah I mean it's awesome to hear uh, all these different influences, different styles coming in. And uh, and with Walter, with with going over and viewing his collection, I'm sure that's something special, too. I mean, he's got hundreds of trees, right? I would put it maybe thousands. I mean, he oh really, yeah, he, he absolutely loves bonsai. I mean, he pretty much does bonsai 24 hours a day, uh, you know, in Walter's mind, I think, at any rate. <laughs> um <laughs> But it's interesting, you know, having been, uh, have had the opportunity to spend so much time in the EU, um, also to see, you know, what they have over there and to talk to a lot of the artists over there. And, you know, they really feel like America is on this like upward trajectory Mm -hmm. um, and where, you know, it used to be like Europe seemed 
ahead of us. And now I think, you know, with the influence of, you know, Michael Hagedorn and Ryan and Bjorn and, you know, Evan and what, what everyone is doing, Carmen, I think we're really starting to kind of find our own voice in America. And one mm. thing I've learned as a traveling artist, having the opportunity, you know, to be able to go like this year to, you know, Alabama and then Florida and then, you know, Houston, and then I'll be in Denver and then I'll be in Pennsylvania. And, you know, to really see the breadth of the scope that America has to offer is unbelievable, you know, in, in terms of just, you know, to collect the species that we have to offer for bonsai. Yeah, we're uh, we're just now starting to tap into the potential of collectible species such as Yamadori stock that could be found, you know, anywhere from the Cascades, the Rockies to even the Blue Ridge Mountains. I mean, everywhere that that these awesome trees could exist, we're just now starting to find them. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I that's what I was mentioning earlier. It's just it's a pretty exciting future to be part of. Uh, there should be a pretty big shift, and at least in our t- our lifetimes, uh, we should start to see the uh, one of the things that kind of separates us from other bonsai cultures is that you'll see trees that have been in development by artists in their range, and they're exceeding a hundred plus years, two hundred plus years. Uh, Japan, of course, you got the ones that are four hundred plus. In America, here we're going to get to that point where the trees that have been developed from stock from seed collected yamadori we're going to in our lifetime going to see the ones that hit that you know that 100 year mark and see what real good american bonsai could be you know mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's a it's an amazing time to see all that um so with all the species that you've worked with jennifer i'm interested um i know there's there's probably too many to list off but what are some highlights as far as species that you've uh, had the privilege to work with on your travels? Well, some of it is zone envy. Um, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I get that every yeah, time like I just when... fly a short distance to Portland. I'm always like, oh. uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, here in Chicago, I mean, I can have, you know, really killer Rocky Mountain junipers and lodgepole and limber pine. You know, hmm. we can do maples. I obviously, you know, beach, uh, tremendous amount of deciduous, um, tropicals are more of a challenge. I mean, when I was down and had the opportunity to spend some time with Mary Madison, you know, before she passed away, I mean, her, her buttonwoods to me are so inspirational. Um, you know, I really love tropicals and I think up here in the Midwest region, um, you know, or even, you know, up into the East coast, it gets more challenging for people to do tropicals. Um, and so, you know, I, I think in certain parts of the country, they don't get as much uh, credit as, as they deserve. Um, but it's, you know, without sounding corny, you kind of fall in love with the tree that you're working on. Um, and I've had some great opportunity to work with phenomenal materials, certainly out at Bonsai Mirai. Um, so it, it's hard to pick like a favorite. I mean, I think I am partial. I have I, actually a really old hemlock that I have in my own collection that I love. You know, I really do like Rocky Mountain junipers. Um, I, I really want to focus for myself as an artist, you know, because I am an American on our American species, you know, and, you know, I have tremendous respect for the Japanese and everything, you know, that they're doing in their culture and, you know, having been to Japan and to see Kokofu was incredible. But I think for myself, what I want to focus on is, you know, American bonsai. Okay. 
I think so, that I okay, can totally relate when you say that you fall in love with the tree that you're working on. Cause whenever anybody asks me, what's your favorite species to work on? I'm like, it really just <laughs> depends whatever I'm working on at that moment. It becomes my favorite just because you just, you're learning new things and you're trying, you know, it's just, it's so hard to pick. <laughs> you're trying to listen to the tree, right. And yeah. to learn from what the tree is telling you, but it is so hard to pick because mm -hmm. they all do have their own wonderful characteristics. So how do you, you know, how do you, nail it down to like, you know, these are my three top, you know, favorites. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, cause it, and again, when you travel and then you go to see people's collections and you see, you know, just these breathtaking trees and you're like, wow, you know, it's, you know, it's really mm -hmm. amazing what our country does have to offer. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's exciting. You're going to, you're wanting to focus more on some of the, the North American natives. I, I hear a lot of that coming out of some of the, the newer bonsai artists or the, you know, the, um, like our generation of bonsai artists, they're really starting to kind of um, narrow in on some of those natives. And I think that that's, there's like, I think we've said already, there's so much potential there and it's, it's going to be really cool to see what we can do. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who uh, does bonsai in Iowa. And cool. whenever I say that to people, they're like, they do bonsai in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually they do. Um, and she's doing some really cool things where, you know, we were looking for unusual containers and getting back to like Michael Hagedorn's hemlock, right. That he has, mm -hmm. you know, we were trying to find a container and you know how you can never have like the right pot. Oh yeah. Or anything. So she actually had a gray oak. Um, and we were trying to figure out, you know, would the leaves reduce, you know, how, what do we want to do with this tree? And it's a tall tree. It's really beautiful. And we wanted a very naturalistic setting. And so we said, you know what, let's go to the, the timber line, like where the cows are. And we found this like really old, long piece of kind of irregular wood. And we put the tree, you know, on wood and, it's absolutely breathtaking. So I think it's, it's fun, you know, to use what we have available um, mm -hmm. to kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I wanted to ask, um, you have a hemlock in Chicago. Does it do okay? Cause I'm, I'm thinking if I move back to Michigan and I have a hemlock, is it going yeah. to survive? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, I, mine is actually Canadian, the one that I have, um, I ah, asked okay. Ryan about Ryan Neal about mountain hemlock because mm -hmm. I wasn't sure. And yeah. his, his answer was pretty, pretty much. And I quote, of course, Jennifer, why couldn't you do that? What are you talking about? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to try it. You mm -hmm. know, the problem is I haven't found one yet that is reasonable that I don't, you know, I don't want to take a really, really good, you know, expensive specimen and then, you know, see how it does for me. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to find, you know, something that that is within my price range that I can experiment mm -hmm. with. Yeah. But yes, I think you should be able to, you know, from. Yeah, that was my thinking. The only thing I've heard is that sometimes the humidity um, over the summertime at night, um, I think can be the, is what I've heard could be the issue, but I, I want to try anyway, because I feel like it's, we got to be able to do it. We got to be able to figure it out. So, right. He did mention a couple of <laughs> students of his actually too, that lived, you know, up in our area in the Midwest that did have them. And so, okay. yes, I think it is doable. It could work. Excellent. Wonderful. Yeah. And I do, you know, when you travel, you do see a lot of people like when I'm in, you know, Alabama, they wanted to do larch and I'm like, I, you know, I don't, that's not going to work, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are, there are things that, you know, and I've tried to do buttonwoods and I can make it work. Although, realistically 
you know, does, does it thrive versus just survive? Does that make right. sense? Yeah. yeah. There's something yeah. special about buttonwoods that can only be a look that can be only be generated in really hot, humid environments. Um, mm -hmm. And I've seen, I haven't really seen evidence, but I've had people uh, purchase trees from me and claim that they're, they're growing their buttonwoods in a basement with really intense lighting, good UV mm -hmm. lighting and, and good heat. And I can believe that um, mm -hmm. there's other people growing other things around, you know, but it's just the effect that those buttonwoods have. I mean, the, the heat and humidity has on them. You don't get that dense growth habit. You don't get the, the leaf reduction. You don't get the mature branching built in a, in a healthy, efficient way, I feel like. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm thinking about buttonwoods right now because uh, I do have, one of my own Mary Madison buttonwoods that I'm starting to to really work into mature branching. I'm going to choose a pot for it this year, and uh, yeah, I I really I really do adore the uh, the buttonwoods. But yeah, the larch you were just saying, uh, you guys are over here saying how mountain hemlocks and larch and stuff. <laughs> You're like it's right on the edge. I'm like, man, I'm over here in Louisiana, just feeling <laughs> feeling the envy, you know, like uh, you just need a chest freezer. Just get a chest freezer and a small small larch, and then you just stick it in there in the winter, and you'll be fine. That's well, you know, you're, you're you got a heck of a bald cypress picture behind you, so I'm not feeling too sorry for you there. Yeah, I'm yeah. Now, uh, you know, our <laughs> our range is great for the tropicals and for the cypresses and the other deciduous things, but every once in a while, you just want a good conifer, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and not just and not just the regular chimpaku without good uh, features on it, you know, as far as deadwood features or or just a a green mound juniper, but yeah, you know, give and take. I mean, the the buttonwood is kind of like our Yamadori juniper in a way. It has the has a good quality twisted deadwood uh, that's actually old to some extent. Uh, really don't know how old they are because buttonwoods are unique in that aspect where they're just beating the crap by hurricanes and twisted, and they're rolling around on the beach. Uh, oh. Evan, how easy are they to collect? I haven't had that experience yet. I'm gonna go bald cypress collecting soon but i was wondering about buttonwoods are they challenging are they well that's a mike lane question because they they're not close enough to my range where i could go collect them okay. um yeah i have a lot of experience working with them and repotting them and and you know pretty much keeping them uh happy over here but from what i've heard it is similar to bald cypress collection in a way where um supposedly they're if you find a honey hole spot, that's what my buddy Dawn calls it, her honey hole. If you find a, ho a honey hole, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Dawn's awesome. Um, but if you find a spot where there where there's good picking, uh, if you just know how to cut the roots in just the right way, they're they're actually very very collectible. They're not something weird like a like a Rocky Mountain juniper or one seed juniper it has to be unscrewed out of a rock crevice or something because um, it's just sand. <laughs> you know, I had a yeah, I had a really funny experience with Mary Madison. So, you know, she was in hospice and it was really hard and it was her last 
show and I was, you know, helping her uh, set up her tree for display. And they asked me, they came, the organizers came and asked me if I would, if I would do it for Mary and then Mary would come and she would check it out. And then we would go to, you know, get something to eat, she and I. And I said, sure. So I agonized over this. I mean, you know, it was her very last one in the show. And I was like, you know, and I I changed her accent because I didn't like the accent that it was with. And I was like, I don't, is she going to be upset? And, and so I, and then I changed, you know, the, the diaza that was under the accent and I rotated the tree around and I thought it looked good. And I had like 18 people come and look at it. And I wasn't stressed out the whole weekend except for, Mary looking at this tree with this. <laughs> so she comes in, we reel her in, and she takes one look at it and goes, Oh, I don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she changed it all back to the way she had it. Mm-hmm. And then she looked over at me and she was like, Are you ready to go to, to get something to eat? She's like, I just, I don't know who did this to my tree, but oh, well. it was so funny because it was like, you know, how artists are so individual, how they see things. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't. I wasn't offended in the least, but it was just a cute moment of, and everybody just stood around and said nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know if I should say, you know, Mary, it was me. (laughs) For this show changed your whole display around. So it was a funny moment. I love that. It's like, oh, I I have no idea who did it, but, you know, (laughs) we'll change it back right away. No worries. Like, Yep. So have you had any uh opportunities to go collect? Um just where I mean, even in Illinois, is there there's good collection out there? There's really not in Illinois. Um I have had the opportunity uh in Europe. Um and I have uh I almost had the opportunity in uh New Orleans. Um mm. and I with uh Randy Bennett, who, you know, I'm sure you guys know. I mean he's an expert on bald cypress he's writing a book on it and i really i really like randy and so Mm. he invited me to go and then i was actually working uh at another bonsai person's uh private collection and just didn't get there so i'm hoping because they were threatening uh to get a refrigerator box for me so i could you know (laughs) send one of these home to chicago um and because there's a place hidden gardens right by me where they have a tremendous Mm -hmm. collected yamadori and so I could have, you know, overwintered it there, you know, because uh, my friend Jeff Schultz has got climate controlled uh, greenhouses. And so we could have overwintered it there. So it's it's only a matter of time before I go bald cypress collecting. Mm. I, I really want to have that opportunity. Uh, Randy has showed me, you know, a tremendous amount of pictures of, you know, some of the swamps that he's gone into and whatnot. And Mary actually also asked me, but at that point, you know, she wasn't obviously up to it. But I'm I'm really looking forward to to having that opportunity. Hopefully, uh, within this year or next year. Yeah, the sooner the the better with bald cypress, yeah. especially. Um, yeah, next time you're around, I mean, we could even get uh, like Dawn's spot where well, the spot she that told me we're where the go honey hole is. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah so I, I think she, she knows I, I'm no threat living in Chicago to the honey hole. <laughs> yeah, she's uh very fond of that spot. When she showed me the spot that she collects from, I remember she she might have done the same thing with you, and she just like rolled along the highway, and she was like, "There's one there, there there's one there." She's like, "Look, yeah. you don't even have to go very far for that one." And, and uh, yeah, her dedication and her amazement 
by by bonsai, even though she already has so many great trees. <laughs> and those are the kind of people I love to be around. Uh, but yeah, going out and collecting bald cypresses kind of it's kind of a different experience. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I was like I was saying, kind of envious, but not envious at the same time. Not too fond of heights or having to do something daring like like scale a mountainside to go get a tree. But I guess if I want it bad enough. <laughs> like, uh, so, yeah. Um, so Evan, do you have a favorite? I mean, you asked me that question of, you know, do I have a favorite species that I well, love doing? I mean, it sounds like buttonwood for sure, right? Uh, well, actually, I am I am the odd one out where a lot of people will say, I've, I've heard that. I've asked other professionals and other um, artists, what is your favorite species? And they kind of give a similar answer like you did. You're like, oh, well, it's a tree that I'm working on, you know, and I don't really like to pick and choose because bonsai is bonsai. And right. uh, I'm odd one out because I actually do have a, a core, like a cornerstone species. Um, okay. and, and it's actually a winged elm, believe it or not. Nice. Very, very nice. Very straightforward. Uh, very, in my opinion, very down to earth, just kind of species uh, because you can you can work with Chinese elms, you can work with uh, Zelkova, but mm -hmm. when it comes to American elms, they hit differently. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I'm a, I'm kind of a Southern, you know, backwoods kind of, kind of guy kind of thing experience, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not like walking around with no shoes on or anything, but uh, <laughs> I do live in kind of the sticks of Louisiana. So they have a feeling to them that resonates really well with me. And I love some of their common names, such as uh, witch, witch broom or witch elm or yeah. wahoo, yep. uh, which is, is a really interesting one for them. Uh, well, I got a wahoo at my house right now um, mm -hmm. when I was in Texas <laughs> The Texas show where I met you a couple, I don't know, when was that last year, year before? Yep. Uh, Ken Schindler, uh, who's a collector, um, he, uh, I got asked to to do one for a demo and I actually I had Dawn uh, help me on stage. It was a really big one. I was so psyched because I absolutely love that species. Hmm. And I said to him, do you have any more of these things? And he was like, yeah, I got a truck full of them. I'm like, great. Can I see the truck? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the back of the truck goes flying up and uh, Dawn and I started shopping. She, she actually out shopped me, but I got a really, really big huge one uh old one that's currently at my house and i'm going to be repotting it coming up in the next week or two so oh. but really cool i got a, a cedar wow uh and i'm just gorgeous the bark and it's it's a it's a big beast <laughs> so. yeah i think i remember that tree I, th I think i remember watching it wheel out the door and i was like oh someone's gonna have fun with that thing um <laughs> but yeah well big trees i mean I was so into big trees for a little while. Now I'm just, I'm starting to shrink down the size of the trees a lot, but I mean, everybody's got to have a good, a good big tree in their collection, you know? Um, speaking of, you know, me, me and Carmen were joking about this on the previous episode, the, how's the weather? Uh, like, <laughs> because we're, we're, that comes up because uh, you said you're going to be repotting your, your uh, cedar elm soon. Yeah. Uh, so is that within the window is, now or i mean i'm well, i'm kind of ignorant to the, Pacific like, North, to the uh i'm yeah. i'm ignorant to the the midwest is okay. what i want to say yeah <laughs> well, we've had, well let me start by we've had a good winter it hasn't been minus 22 degrees like it has been in some years past we haven't had a lot of snow we only had one or two uh maybe snowfalls at best um and today it's 
like maybe 40 degrees. And so the trees have been sleeping, but they're starting to wake up. And one of the hardest things in my area with new people is overwintering. That's probably the hardest is trying to get people in the hobby to successfully overwinter. That's the biggest challenge by far. Um, And so, you know, some of my trees are at Hidden Gardens where you know, they are love and life in climate control greenhouses. Other trees, um, like the elm I talked to you about, that's actually in my garage and mm-hmm. it hasn't missed a beat. Um, you know, I talked to Ken about that and, you know, it, I mean, it's in a massive tub, just it's a big tree. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's in whatever field soil he collected it in and I got to get it out of there. And it's just starting to wake up right now. So, yeah. which is typical for us, repotting season is you know, end end of March, maybe if we had a really mild winter to, you know, all through April. Yeah. And uh, I I remember talking to someone earlier today at my nursery about um, about genetic codes with trees, about how they how they react and, you know, where they're from. Mm-hmm. It's kind of going to be precedent for how they're going to react, even in your zone. Mm-hmm. Um so I have a winged elm that was collected in in uh, Alabama. Uh, ironically, we were talking about that earlier about Alabama, whatever. Um, but uh, it wakes up really late, and all my other trees are full leaf, and my bald cypresses all fire at different times because they also kind of have a little bit of a a, a Louisiana regional area kind of thing because close to where I'm at versus closer to the coast, they wake up at different times. And so my winged elm from Alabama, it it doesn't really wake up until mid-April. And it's a little scary at times, but that's one of the things that that I would be a little concerned about from from such a, you know, uh you know exactly where that where that cedar elm was collected. Did he tell you? Um, in Texas, yeah. I mean, he kind of, you know, gave me an indication. I mean, you know, with collectors, a lot of times they they won't give you, they won't draw you a map, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, smart man. He's not going to, you know, pinpoint on the map. But yeah, and he didn't think it would miss a beat either. And the tree has absolutely not. It's just trucking yeah. right along. So, um, you know, I was concerned about that. Um, you know, and I, I do have some tropicals. Actually, a favorite of mine, I have a Divi Divi. Mm. Um, that I got at Weigert's that is, you know, it it holds its own and it does well for me, but, you know, I'd be happy when that gets outside. So a little mm-hmm. bit of a different story than the, the elm, but, you know, I don't, I don't anticipate any problems with the elm. Yeah. Uh, Divi Divi is not something that I've messed with uh, a terrible amount, but I know there. It's an old, it's an old, old one. And, you know, one of my favorites it it has these um kind of the, the leaves when they first emerge are like a copper color mm. um, absolutely beautiful yeah so uh, from aruba you know originally in, found in nature oh cool. yeah 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 i'm not very familiar with those yeah that's the beautiful, world beautiful of tropicals bark. especially uh especially weigert's down in fort myers where where mike learned um the it's just the crazy amount of stuff that they bring in uh, over there. Uh, I purchased a, a sea grape from from there probably about two or three years ago, and it was it was actually collected in Puerto Rico. And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> like these trees really come a ways. And it's an, it's another uh, naturally collected yamadori type plant. 
it's kind of hard to call those trees Yamadori, but I I, I get it, you know, because <laughs> they, I mean, Yamadori could also just be an older specimen plant for bonsai as well, but uh, it definitely does have the features of it. For, so for your your Divi Divi, uh, and I'm, am I saying that right? Divi Divi? Yeah. Divi, yeah. Divi, yeah. It, it it doesn't sound real. It sounds a little more playful than some of the other more serious uh, names that plants seem to have. Um, is it? Uh, you said it's an older plant. How how big is it? Oh, it's small. I want to say you know maybe two and a half feet, maybe three feet at that mm. at most. Literati. It has these really cool small little compound leaves. Um, you know, I knew I was in trouble when I went down to work in Florida and I hit Weigerts and it was like okay, I'm going to spend quite a bit of money here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like impossible not to at Weigert's. I have to like stay away from Weigert's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Anytime I go anywhere where anything bonsai or pot, anything, it's like, well, there yeah. goes all of my money. Goodbye. I mean, the pots he's got alone are to die oh, for. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I might have to see if I can get Eric one day to uh, talk with us, but his, his, um, his imported bonsai pottery game is so strong. Mm -hmm. He he has a really great eye for pottery. Uh, I'm just, yeah, just go ahead and shout out uh, the Weigert since we've talked about him for about a minute or two. You can go check out Weigert's Bonsai. Go look at their website. Go look at their pottery. Oh, my gosh, dude. Some of the most beautiful stuff. I've seen some of the stuff in person uh, visiting down there, but he's always got some good stuff coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He and Andre are, are really nice people too. And, you know, he's self-made, I mean, with that nursery, you know, from the ground up. And I just think they're cool people and they got a great place. So what what's not to love when you go there, right? Mm -hmm. It's excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Anything else going on? So I, I know you're uh, taking a short break and then you said you're hoping to end up in, uh, in uh, Europe again. I will. I'll be going back to Europe. Um, like I told you earlier, I was in Croatia in January and that was pretty amazing. Um, I'll go back there again, probably not till next January, but then I'll go to Munich. Um, I'll spend some time with Walter in mm -hmm. his garden. Um, and, you know, a lot of I'm headed out to California. Um, I'll do a small tour out there. I'm going back to Texas again. I'll go to Pennsylvania. Um, so I don't have my schedule in front of me, but you know, lot lot of trips coming up. So, and I know that there's a. I, I was going to mention it for. Where's my phone? Um, for uh, Boyd, which is actually one of our, hmm. one of our bonsai best buds. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, he has you coming for what we call labs. Correct in and October, I think. Yeah, I think it's a little ways away. It uh, is. I think it's October. I don't. I don't have my date book in front of me, but yeah, I'm, I'm headed back down to uh, Baton Rouge area. Yep. Uh, and just to tell y'all a little bit about the, sh the show, it, it does pertain to Southeast area. Uh, Boyd wanted me to mention that it's the Louisiana Alli Alliance of Bonsai Societies. It was first started back in 2002. Uh, was formed by five bonsai societies in Louisiana who host the state meeting on a rotating basis. This sounds similar to the um, to the Lone Star uh, group in Texas, honestly. Uh, this year it would be hosted in the Acadiana parishes, uh, New Iberia, on Saturday, Saturday September 30th. So uh, not October, but... <laughs> 
you know. Oh, sorry. I, I will be there on yeah. September 30th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the uh, the Day of Bonsai includes local vendors, educational programs, a showcase of great bonsai trees that will be competing for the Von Banting Award. Um, and he has mentioned on here that you will be you'll be the featured guest. I don't know if there will be any other featured guests. I hope so. It's always nice, you know, when there's just more than one artist. And Evan, mm. are you vending? Are you going to have a booth there? And yep, I will have a booth. I will awesome. have. Um, <laughs> I'll probably have my usual. It's uh, it's not going to really surprise anyone with the bald cypress. So I'm gonna have to try to uh, switch it up a little bit when I bring stock over there. Uh, but yeah, that that's usually a good time. I mean, I I'd like to always kind of mention about local clubs. I know. We uh we talk about the national show every once in a while, or we talk about ABS, which I mean that's a big deal on its own. Um, and then we also had Jonas's show that happened over in uh, Oakland recently. Mm-hmm. Those are beautiful big shows. Uh, but these smaller shows are are very important, especially for our lo- local and communities and, and whatnot, and especially regional stuff for you know, I, Louisiana and Texas and Florida uh, have great uh, great regions regional shows for that and i know the portland area has got some good stuff and uh is there anything going on as far as illinois do y'all have any? we do yeah. there are two uh bonsai clubs and you know the chicago botanic gardens um as well and so also there's the hidden gardens of uh, bonsai and so both the prairie state bonsai society has an annual show at the morton arboretum and then the chicago botanic uh gardens in uh also in a, with uh, the Midwest Bonsai Show in, in connection with hosts a uh, national show that's the third weekend in August uh, every year. And that's, you know, quite a large show where people come, you know, from all the surrounding states um, and go to a, a three-day conference there. So Awesome. Yeah. Is that it's the, all, oops, the MABA? Is that the... That's not MABA. Um, that's Mid American Bonsai Alliance. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then there's also Mid Michigan uh, yeah. Virgins uh, <laughs> show, and that's like in May. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, Carmen, I was uh, actually at uh, your local Bonsai yeah. last year, and saw- I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, it was really, really neat. And I, I met, um, oh, I can't think of his name offhand. Um, Jack Weigel, is that his name? Oh, Who? Jack Weigel. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. of our uh, volunteers, our yeah. Michigan, one of our Michigan bonsai gurus. Yes, mm-hmm. he, he had just had a, had a birthday and he was very excited about that. And so, but I saw the collection and they're very excited that you're going to be coming back and, you know, going to work, you know, at some point and they're mm-hmm. hoping they're hoping you come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan for right now. So, <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah I, I think about them and them often, and um, I, I definitely am starting to miss that collection. Um, it's hard to be away, and I'm I'm still involved with it a little bit. You know, I have a very small appointment still with the university, but it's you know, so I I'm in touch and I see what's happening and I hear the news and I get questions, but. It's not quite the same as as being there, but uh, I will be going back in June, the week after Denver. Um, we're having the ten year anniversary of that bonsai garden and the the dedication um, of the 
the new donation from Dr. Goldstein, all of his azaleas will be like officially naming the garden. So it's going to be kind of a big to do. Those um, azaleas are quite impressive. I mean, I did oh see my. them and that collection is, is really wonderful along with yeah. the gardens. I mean, another really significant collection. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I do really love working with azaleas. I have to say they probably are, if I have to pick a favorite, they're, they're probably right up there. Um, well, that's good. Cause you're going to have a lot of them to work with. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I do, there's what, like four of them here in, in Michael's yard. And I, you know, get through them a couple times a year. And so he's like, Oh, wow. That was a lot of work for four, you know, medium sized azaleas. And I think <laughs> back to what I've got back at that garden, just waiting for me, the one that's like in the bathtub size pot. And I'm like, Oh God, here we go. <laughs> it's gonna, I'm going to need some help. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, we're coming towards the end of our our little discussion, the end of the show here. Something that uh, we've been kind of trying to keep up every week is just presenting a bonsai word of the week. Uh, so I like to go in and just find a word that, you know, for the listeners, because this is kind of aimed towards uh, beginner practitioners or people who are just trying to get a refresher. So our bonsai word of the week is Uro. Uh, y'all familiar with that word? No. I'm learning no. so much, Evan. What is it? I, was I know. Like, oh, no, I'm like, over here just. Word? I thought you were going to say like repot, like it's repotting season. No. He's always whipping out some kind of Japanese. I don't know what he's. Uh, yeah, I'm over here just like the the fun fact, the buzzkill thing that comes at the bottom of the screen. It's like, did you know? And people are like, I'm not even no. looking. Stop it. No, <laughs> no uh, an uro is the a hollow section of the trunk. Uh, ah. usually indicating a hollow that would be seen on deciduous trees. So when the wood is completely rotted away and the cambium has rolled inwards and has made a, a more of what, uh, in Japanese bonsai culture would be referred to as a owl hole. So a, Mm -hmm. a hole in a tree that would appear to have some kind of residence. So (laughs) not resident, like an echo. No, (laughs) like a resident. Like a squirrel. And also, I guess if the squirrel didn't make noise, he would produce resonance inside of there. So um. (laughs) this is kind of cool. I have a beech tree that I'm actually going to donate my first tree that I'll ever donate to the Chicago Botanic Garden. Mm, Yeah, that's so exciting. My friend Chris Baker really loves the tree. And so it has not woken up yet. Um, The buds look phenomenal, but beech wake up really, really late. Ours still hasn't woken up either. And we're I'm mostly done with repotting and that thing is it's been in the greenhouse still just sitting there anyway oh, sorry anyway so to make a long story short um when i was in sweden uh thor Hulava made a pot for me for the tree and so i'm going to bring it up to chicago botanic gardens and i will ask my friend chris baker the curator there if he knows what a would you say it was an arrow and uh an arrow an arrow is because that you are a definite <laughs> arrow in it and i'll i'll say what do you think of the arrow in this tree Chris and see <laughs> and he'll go oh it's really good it's really yeah. great <laughs> but that's cool now I can actually you know put a, put a word with what I have there that's yeah. neat. so yeah. every every once in a while we like to kind of brush up on these these words because yeah. uh we we really I mean we honor the Japanese way of of approaching bonsai a lot and uh a lot of these words are 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 made just for these features of bonsai like they have no other word in their language that they've come that they've created 
to represent the poetic features and qualities of bonsai trees. So it helps it helps us look at the trees differently. It helps us talk with our other bonsai friends and uh, other practitioners and just kind of bounce ideas and be like, oh, well, if you lose that branch, you could create an arrow or a hollow space that yeah. represents something that actually does happen in nature. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a tree frog that takes up residence in your euro. <laughs> there you go. I um, like that. We've had that happen here before. It's very cute. I actually, in a lot of bald cypress, like uh, whenever I do that first carve and it starts to roll really heavily mm-hmm. and I get that big callus formation at the nursery, for some reason, I have a lot of uh, gray tree frogs and just your mm. regular green tree frog. They'll just hang out in that spot. They that's love their, it. That's their favorite place to be. It's cool. There's a lot of a lot of little bugs trying to get away from the heat under there. So mm. yeah. Uh, sorry to tell you that I'm already over here. No, i dream th- of tell me all tree about frogs all of the <laughs> animals in your bonsai garden. That's what I. That's what I'm really here for. Uh, oh, I do want to mention one uh, resident at my uh, nursery that is pretty interesting. He's a ribbon snake. Ooh, uh, okay, cool. Um, and he Where crawls he in the canopies of the bald cypresses. Oh, man. I love when snakes <laughs> live in canopy. It's so creepy and like you don't expect it. And then there's a snake. Oh, yeah. It surprised me a good number of times. And he loves tree frogs. And, uh, and I would probably say it's probably a female. So I would say she. Because uh-huh. she's definitely got a nest somewhere underneath mm. the building that we work out of. But, uh, I mean, she's got to be about a little bit bigger than a pencil as far as girth-wise. That's and, cool. And she's, like, two feet long. I mean, she's a she's Ooh. a pretty big snake. But when you first see her, you're like, oh, crap. And you're like, oh, wait, that's just a, that's just a ribbon snake. It's no big deal. But uh, <laughs> it's always... Please take video and send it to me. Yeah, you, you got a mascot now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just yeah. scared that one day somebody's gonna be back there perusing trees and they're gonna be picking through branches and then the snake's gonna like literally just kind of because they're fast. <laughs> it's just I always have to warn people. I'm like, look, we're we're kind of out in the countryside, especially where where Folsom, Louisiana is. It's very Folsom. It's very country. Yeah, there's a lot of snakes, a lot of frogs, uh, wasp paper wasp nests get up inside of our mm. trees. Sometimes it's 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 uh. It's the wild, wild southeast of uh, <laughs> of the bonsai world. It feels like sometimes, but uh, I mean, yeah, critters and in, in bonsai trees are fun, uh, especially when birds come and give you a visit and land on a branch. It's always mm-hmm. a, it's always a great moment. But uh, so Evan, Evan, you know who Nick Lenz is, of course, right? Or oh yeah, was right. So he used to make uh, Jim Doyle has a few of these, but he used to make like a. Uh, snakes out of you know clay because he's such an amazing potter as well as a bonsai artist and he would like hang them from his trees Mm. that's so cool Uh, cool? it's it was kind of a kind of like pushing the limits a little bit as far as what sculptural things would be like appropriate for bonsai design with him yeah Mm -hmm. um and i'm wondering if the snake thing was just kind of a kind of almost like a gag like just to kind of freak people out or i don't know you know he was he was uh, kind of known for being quirky and so maybe you know or maybe <laughs> just you know one day saw a snake in a tree and got inspired and started you never know right but mm-hmm. yeah, saw, his, his work is so fun mm-hmm. I, I saw a bonsai artist that i think was supposed to be working under under him and has kind of taken a lot of inspiration from his style and uh i think it was a it, i mean there was a lot of larch 
that Nick Lindsay used. Uh, and and uh, this one guy who's using Larch, and he put these Teletubbies, these like little Teletubby figures, probably probably like three inches tall, in a circle around it, facing outwards. And I think it was the yellow one. And I was like, yeah. I was like, that actually, it's creepy as hell, but it actually kind of <laughs> works. It's got like this weird surrealist. <laughs> sil- uh, surrealistic vibe to it mm-hmm. that's just yeah it's out there uh strange yeah it, it yeah it's the only thing you can say if you look at it and be like wow that is very odd that's strange okay bonsai is a subjective art right i mean <laughs> yeah. but it made you made you think it made you talk so hey yeah it, it makes you it makes you look again and you're like wait there might be something here or this might just be insanity you know right. this it's art now <laughs> so yeah. But that that definitely could be a, a a revisit later on for another one of our episodes. As we talk, we kind of kind of give ourselves some thoughts to think of uh, for later on. Pop bonsai has always been interesting to me, mm. and, and Carmen uh, apparently. I hate the term pop bonsai, but but there what is does the term pop bonsai. Mean I'm not I'm not as familiar with that as like you guys are. Trendy or very playful um, designs, like like the whole bonsai tree hanging upside down. That, that sort of thing maybe kind of like cutesy or yeah okay so here's here's my speech on that bonsai is a subjective art but there's a difference between art and kitsch there's a right. huge difference mm-hmm. i agree kitsch? i just don't like the word pop because i feel like it trivializes some of the the like more modern expression of bonsai that is actually interesting and good and it puts it in that kitschy category yeah so that's mm, the, okay, that's that. that's where my issue with the word um but it's it's semantics for me um, yeah. i can give you an example of, of kitsch evan if that's like a weird word to use like i was at a bonsai show one time and somebody had a forest but a lot of the trees were dead and their mm. thing was that you know there was like a forest fire mm-hmm. i stood there looking at it going those are clearly dead right like you i kind of get what you were going for but it it didn't really work does that Mm -hmm. make sense yeah in that that sense it was you know it's like you're you're trying to be clever to be clever yeah clever for clever's sake exactly yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so i don't know was nick lens trying to be clever hanging snakes in the tree probably not from everything i've heard about (laughs) nick he probably just that was what he felt like one day and so we just did it yeah mm-hmm. his art you know when you look through of course now you know now the books are you know it, it's several years ago right that he you know that book was out but when you look at his art it's not kitsch i mean there's that mm-hmm. actual artist, there's such artistry there and playfulness that really works mm-hmm. yeah it's i can see it it's more art for art's sake Yes. and less convention for sure right. Mm-hmm. Right. so oh yeah see uh that's that's why we uh we bring up these bonsai word words of the day or words of the week so that we can get into long tangents <laughs> and just keep going <laughs> but uh but anyway uh yeah we're uh we're right at the end here so uh thanks for thanks for joining us jennifer it's yeah, always thank you so much thank you so much i had a great time hanging out with you guys yeah, it's always nice to have a new uh, a new voice on the podcast, um, and just just to hear what other people are doing out there in the world of bonsai. So, 
for the listeners, thanks for listening again to Little Things for Boneside People. And uh, Carmen, you always have your thing that you say. Hold on, I forgot what it was. Oh, uh, it's remember. Your saying. Hold on, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Got it. Got it. Remember, it's the little things. <laughs> <laughs>